Well, good morning, Hope Church family. It's really nice that even though we can't physically be together, that we can be together in spirit and we can turn to the Lord and his word. I believe the Lord has a, a good word for us today, something that will encourage us. We all need encouragement, don't we, in these days that are difficult. There's a song that I've always loved. It was written by Scott Crepain called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. And it begins with these words. All who sail the sea of faith find out before too long how quickly blue skies can turn gray and gentle winds grow strong. Man, that's kind of our situation right now, isn't it? Who would have imagined just a few weeks ago the changes that would have occurred in our lives. So much has changed. We're not able to meet for public worship. We're practicing social distancing. We're not able to buy toilet paper or essentials. And uh, while life is filled with many blessings, many joys, it also has many struggles and many difficulties. And certainly right now, we are facing something really unprecedented in our lifetimes. The COVID-19 pandemic has also highlighted a painful reality for us. It's simply this, we're more fragile than we think. Some of the things that felt secure, like our jobs, our financial security, our health, our essential supplies, all of a sudden those things aren't as strong as they used to be. They're more fragile than we thought. And where there's uncertainty, Anxiety grows, doesn't it? How many of you can honestly admit, like I can admit, there's been more fear in these days. There's been, this uncertainty has brought fear into our lives. And while the Bible tells us that God does not want us to live in fear, we all need encouragement, don't we, to live that out. We need encouragement, and I hope today's message will encourage you. God, one of the ways God encourages us is that he puts stories in the Bible of real people just like you and me and how they lived and how they faced times of crisis. One of those stories in the Bible is about an ancient king in Judah whose name was Jehoshaphat. How he and his people faced the most dangerous and difficult crisis of their lives is an example to us of how to live by faith. And in desperation, this ancient king cried out to God, we are helpless. We don't know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. The story's found in the book of 2 Chronicles. If you have your Bible, maybe you're sitting at home, grab your Bible and open it up to 2 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. You have uh, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, right after that, First and Second Chronicles. We're going to look at the 20th chapter. It tells this story. And the story begins with a problem, and it's spoken of right at the beginning in verses one and two. It says this: Second Chronicles 20, verse one. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Eden and beyond the sea, and behold, they are at Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Men come and they tell Jehoshaphat, there's a great multitude coming. Really, this is a coalition of three military powers, and they're coming to attack. 
and they're only 40 miles away. This is no small threat. In the United States, we have something called DEFCON. It's a U.S. system of military alertness. DEFCON 5 is peacetime, but it goes all the way up to DEFCON 1, which is imminent war. Judah is at DEFCON 1. War is imminent. And to make matters worse, the enemy is overwhelmingly strong. I want to point out something to you in this story. I want you to know something about Jehoshaphat. The story begins oddly in verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. It says, after this. And you might say, well, after what? <laughs> but if you look at the text previous to this, Jehoshaphat was a king who sought God. Not all the kings in Judah did that. In fact, most of them did not. But Jehoshaphat did. He sought God. And he had led the people in spiritual and social reforms. It says about Jehoshaphat, the Lord was with him because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, the false gods, but he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments. So this story takes place as Jehoshaphat is obeying God, living for God, leading the people in the right paths. You know, sometimes it's possible in life that we would suffer as a result of our sinful choices and bad decisions, but this isn't the case here. Jehoshaphat is following after God. But I want you to see something else about Jehoshaphat. In verse 3, it says this, when he gets this news, it says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He was afraid. The king was afraid. I want us to think about fear this morning for just a few moments. While it's very clear that in the Bible that God does not want us to live in fear, that certainly does not mean that we will never experience fear. We will not have fears. And I want to give you an example of King David, the giant killer, so to speak. But he also had fears. David had many dangers in his life, one after the other. He was chased by King Saul. And time and time again, his life hung in the balance. In fact, many of the Psalms that David wrote, he wrote under deep distress as he called out to the Lord. And in one of those Psalms, Psalm 56, verse 3, he says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid. You see, what we do when we face our fears and our problems is very important. Rather than living in fear, we are to trust God who can deliver us from our fears. And one blessing that can come from facing deep trial is that it drives us to seek God. I like to think of fear and trust in God as two sides of a coin. We have a coin that has a, a two sides, one side we call heads, one side we call tails. And you can't look at both sides at the same time, can you, of the same coin? And what if you, we thought of fear as being one side of the coin, but trust in God being the other side of that coin? And we can bring alongside our fear, our trust in God. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He brings God to it. So he seeks God, verse 3 again, into verse 4, it says this, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. 
and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. It's a powerful scene. He sends out people. We have to gather. He goes to the temple, and people are coming from the cities, from Jerusalem, gathering at the temple, the place where God resides. And they're going to seek him together. And Jehoshaphat stands up, and in the midst of this problem, he prays. That's what people do. That's what godly people do when they have a problem. They pray. And with all this scene, if you can picture the people standing, Jehoshaphat stands up in their presence. He publicly prays aloud a prayer. And true prayer always comes from a desperate soul calling out to God. A desperate soul calling out to God. This was not a perfunctory prayer. It was not just an intellectual prayer. It wasn't planned out with crafty words. It was a desperate soul of a king as he stood before his people in grave danger. And he appeals to five things when he talks to God. He appeals to God's sovereignty, God's omnipotence, God's promises, God's justice, and God's mercy. Let's look at what he prayed. Verse six. He says this, he stands up and he says, Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Now that's a rhetorical question. He's declaring, you are God in heaven. You are above all things. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Jehoshaphat is acknowledging God's sovereignty. God is sovereign over all things, over every problem we face in life. God is sovereign. He knows no matter what uncertainties and fears we face, God knows and he's sovereign over them. But I have to confess to you that there's some tension in all of this because we have limited understanding, don't we? We don't know what God knows. Jehoshaphat didn't know what God knew. He didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know why this problem had come into his life when he's following God. And oftentimes we don't know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that what God has revealed is for us, but the hidden things belong to him. There are things hidden that only belong to God. He chooses not to reveal everything to us. And I say that to you because there's tension in knowing God is sovereign. Just know this, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Just as the heavens, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I want to caution you not to become God's judge. Live with the tension of not understanding everything. Jehoshaphat acknowledged that God was over all things, even though this enemy army is standing right there. Even over that, God is sovereign. Then he appeals to God's omnipotence, his power. At the end of verse 6, it says, In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. You are all powerful, God. No one can withstand you. There's no problem too big for you. Then he goes on to go into remembering God's promises, verses 7 through 9. Look at it. 
Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. He's appealing to God's promises. He said, God, you gave us this land just like you promised. This temple has been built for the glory of your name. And then he appeals to this promise. When they dedicated that temple, Solomon stood up and prayed and asked if the people go out to battle against their enemies and they pray to you, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Jehoshaphat is paraphrasing that and saying, oh God, look at the assembly. We're here. We're here. Please fulfill your promise to us. Help us. Then he goes to appeal to God's justice. Verse 10. He says this, And now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? He's making reference to many, many years before when God led the people out of Egypt and their bondage in Egypt. They were in the wilderness. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 2. You can look at it. But God said that they were not allowed to attack Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they were obedient to that. They did not attack those people at that time. And now Jehoshaphat says, remember, we obeyed you there. Our forefathers obeyed you. Now look at how they're repaying us. They're coming after us. Oh God, will you not execute judgment? Because they're trying to take from us what you gave us. And actually, they're opposing you, God, not just us. It made me think of our enemy that only comes to kill and steal and destroy. Satan himself. The enemy is always like that, trying to take something. And he says, God, you are just. Will you not not execute judgment on them? And then we come to the closing of his prayer. And he makes one of the most heartfelt, passionate pleas for help that you'll ever find in the scriptures. In the end of verse 12, he says, God... We are powerless against this horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're powerless. You know, there's some problems we have that have no human solution. And this is exactly where the people were. Their army wasn't strong enough to oppose that which was coming against them. We don't know what to do. But God, we're looking to you. We're looking to you. Corey Ten Boom once said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, 
you'll be at rest. That old song we sometimes sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's strange because it shouldn't grow dim. A problem so significant, a trial so painful. But when you look to Christ, he gives us something that we don't have in ourselves. And this is where Jehoshaphat is. In verse 13, I try to picture the scene. When you read the Bible, try to picture a scene. It says, meanwhile, as he's praying this out loud and calling out to God, we don't know what to do. Hey, the king is saying he doesn't know what to do. How would that make you feel as one of his subjects? But he's real. This is, this is real. And meanwhile, as he's praying this, all of Judah stood before the Lord. And listen, God put this detail in the Bible with their little ones, their wives and their children. Can you picture the scene? They're just huddled. Dads and moms having their arms around their kids. The king's talking. They're on the verge of a, a catastrophe. Life and death is held in the balance. God, if you don't act, we have no hope. It's at this point that in verse 14, an answer comes from the Lord through a prophet. It says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and an answer, a promise, comes from the Lord. In verse 15, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Friends, what we need more than anything when we are facing a crisis are the words of the Almighty God. That's why we're turning to his Bible today, the word that he gave us. That's, friends, pick up your word. Pick up the Bible and read because that's what we really need. The message from God through the prophet to the people and to King Jehoshaphat, the battle is not yours but God's. It's reminiscent of what David said when he stood before Goliath. You know, Goliath picked the fight. He said, you're, you're like a dead dog. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. I'm going to throw your flesh down. And David didn't say, oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to come back at you. You just wait and see what I do. He didn't say that. No, he said, this day the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. It's not me. That all may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. What, you know, but it's interesting too, though, what, he, what God says to them next in verse 16. Tomorrow, go down against them. Now, wait a minute. I thought you just said we're not going to have to fight this battle. Behold, they will come up. The prophet says, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. Now, isn't it interesting? God says, tomorrow go up against them, and he tells them right where the army's going to be. He's omniscient. <laughs> Our God knows everything. He knows just where they'll be. But then he reiterates his promise to them. You will not, in verse 17, you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah 
and Jerusalem. Then he reiterates this, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. To be dismayed is to lose all courage. In your fear, don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Don't don't lose your courage. Why? Because tomorrow I will be with you. The Lord will be with you. Stand firm. Hold your position. Maintain your confidence in God. Those are words for us today too. Stand firm. Hold your position. Wait upon God and the salvation he'll bring. Do not be dismayed. Don't be afraid. Why? Because the Lord will be with you. What a powerful promise for all of us. Well, right after this, uh, God gave them this word, and he gave them this promise, the people began to praise. Verse 18 says, and I'll paraphrase it, that Jehoshaphat and the people fell down before the Lord in worship. I want to point out something to you. At this point, not one of their circumstances has changed. The horde of these formidable armies are still there. But what has changed, not their circumstances, but their faith has been encouraged. They are trusting in the person, the power, and the promise that God has given. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. (laughs) This people bow down in worship because they are trusting in God. Well, the next day, Verse 20 begins to tell how the story ends. There's been a problem. There's been a prayer. There's been a promise from God, praise by the people, and lastly, the provision comes from God. Verse 20 says, Jehoshaphat encourages the people. They believed and obeyed God. They rose early. They went out to the place right where God had told them to go. Jehoshaphat instructs the singers to go before the army to praise the Lord. So start praising the Lord in front of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. How's that for a battle strategy? We value in in the element of of warfare, the element of surprise. There's no surprise here. They put the, the worship team out in front and they start singing out in the position right where the enemy is. But listen, since it's the Lord's battle to fight, because they're trusting in the Lord, that's exactly what they do. And when they began to sing and praise, verse 22 and 23, it says the Lord set an ambush. And what that means is he caused confusion among these enemy armies. At first, the armies of the Ammonites and the Moabites began fighting the men from Mount Sire. They turned on them mistakenly. And then they started to turn on one another. There was such confusion that they started fighting each other, not realizing what they were doing until all of them were destroyed. In verse 24, it says that Judah came out To the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. The story closes with the people taking three days to collect the spoil, and then they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Do you think? 
Jehoshaphat leading the way as they praised the Lord. I want us just to think about some applications as we close. Three simple ones. First of all, this story tells us that we should set our faces to seek and follow the Lord. We should be turning to God and set our face to follow him, obey them. Is that, is that descriptive of your life? Where is your hope? Where is your trust? Is it in the Lord? And notice that Jehoshaphat sought God when things were good. That was the pattern of his life. And then when things were bad, he sought the Lord. So often we're not like that. We're, we'll, we'll take it, you know, when things are going good, we'll take it. But then when things are bad, we got to really seek God. No, no, no. Set your face to seek him every day. You know, this separation that we've had to endure because of the COVID virus, you know that you can't be separated from God. He's, he's, a, he's just a call away. <laughs> he's right with you. Seek the Lord. Set your face to follow him. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, the Bible says, because he did not seek the Baals. He did not go after false things. No, he went after the Lord, his God. Secondly, an application, do not be paralyzed by fear. You will have fear. I will have fear. But we're not to be paralyzed by it. Stand firm and hold on to God's promises. I want to just read briefly just a few promises. There's hundreds of them in the Bible. But here's a few that you can hold on to. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, words actually spoken to Jehoshaphat's father, Asa. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's almost as if God is looking today. Oh, people, just look to me. Give your heart to me. Trust in me. Follow me. Live for me. I'm going to support you. From Isaiah 41, verse 10, God speaking through the prophet, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus said in John 16, Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Notice, in me you may have peace. In me. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God will never leave you. And this promise coming out of the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 35 and then verses 37 through 39. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Keep holding on to his promises.
And remember, thirdly and lastly, that the battle is not yours. It's God's. God wants to help you. What battles, what enemies are you facing? Let us with confidence, the Bible says, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to God. He has a throne of grace. I love that. You can find mercy with him. You can find help. And some of you are facing deep battles. I know that. I can think of many of you in our congregation who are facing very difficult things. Some of you problems that have no human solution. I, turn, I ask you just to continue to stand firm in your faith. Keep trusting and holding on to the promises of God. And lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that so often when God has a story in the Bible, when he causes something to happen in a story, it's to actually picture something much bigger. And I want you to see in this story of Jehoshaphat's battle and the victory that God won in it, a picture symbolizing God's ultimate victory over the greatest enemy that any of us will ever face, our own sin and death itself. You see, there's no human remedy for sin and death. We're powerless. But the battle is not ours. It's God's. And God's victory over sin and death is through his son, Jesus Christ. And just like this battle in Jehoshaphat's day was fought outside the city of Jerusalem, to outside of the city, one day they led Jesus Christ outside of the city to a place where he took upon himself our sins and he died on our behalf. But God, three days later, raised him from the dead and God makes a promise to us. In fact, the Bible says the witness is this. God's testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. I've written these things, John says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life? Give your heart to him. Believe in him. Trust in this promise. And the last enemy, the Bible says, that's going to be put away is death itself. For he, Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to be destroyed is death. Isn't it going to be great someday when we don't have to worry about death? He's going to put it away. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new heavenly Jerusalem. We're going to come back with singing and praise and joy for the victory that God has won. The old hymn that says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see, see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I used to sing that hymn, that chorus, with my brother-in-law, Jimmy, who had Down syndrome. And we always used to sing it at the very end. After we sang that chorus, he'd always yell out, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. <laughs> Friends, God has a great victory for us. Hold on to him. No matter what this life brings, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We have an eternity with God. Let's hold on to him. Let's not live in fear. Let's ask God for his help through these difficult days. Let me just pray. 
Father, I want to thank you for putting stories in the Bible so that we could see how to live by faith, have examples of how other people lived. And both positive and negative, you put all these stories in to show us ways to live and ways not to live. And this story you put in the Bible so that we would not be consumed by fear, but that we would learn to seek you and set our face toward you. Lord, these are days in our country that are very, very difficult. And we're being honest when we say we don't know what to do in every instance. I, I'm so thankful for our leadership here, for Pastor Sean and the team that um, are helping to lead through these very difficult times. And I want to thank you for the congregation, the people of Hope Church, and pray that you would help us to stand firm, to hold on to you, not to be afraid or be dismayed by the things we're facing. For, Lord, you've promised that you'd be with us. And I pray for the one who even today is concerned about the virus, about their employment, about their financial well-being. Some, Lord, have very difficult medical diagnoses and Others have relational issues. And I just pray today that whatever our situation, that we would seek you and bring these problems to you, many of which have no human solution. But God, you are sovereign and you're all powerful. You're a merciful God, a just God. We hold on to you and we bring our needs to you and ask that you would continue to be at work in and through us. Thank you for the, your word. I pray that the people would be strengthened, that you'd continue to keep us turning to your word, keep us trusting you, not to lean on our own understanding, but to, to acknowledge you in all of our ways. You'll show us what to do. You'll help us in every situation. Thank you for these moments today and for our time together as a church family. In your name we pray, amen.